Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 5, issue 227. As you know by now, you can play along with the podcast. You can do it retrospectively or you can do it as we go along. And if you want to do that, you better start playing Ori and the Blind Forest right about now. Uh, after that, we're going to cover Plants vs. Zombies. You can play that on a bunch of formats. Crazy Taxi, if you've still got a Dreamcast, or you can play the downloadable versions that came out a few years ago. Following that, it is The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. Uh, you can obviously play that on a Wii U, if not a GameCube. And after that, it's 80 days. Head to canorince.com for articles, features, reviews, interviews sometimes, and links to our forum, our Facebook page, and our YouTube channel. And if you enjoy all those things that we do, the news, the videos, the podcasts, and the articles, and the forum, and whatever else, you can support us. You can contribute via our Patreon, patreon.com slash uh, and you can donate a dollar a month or a pound a month or a bit more or just a one-off thing and then cancel your payment, whatever. It's uh, all incredibly gratefully received. Uh, if you prefer to get something not concrete because that wouldn't be very comfortable, but uh, uh, material for your money, you can buy a T-shirt or a bag. We have lovely Sound of Play and Cane and Rinse T-shirts and bags at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk, Cane and Rinse. And also, you must know by now, we do have another podcast. It's a weekly podcast about video games music, where we play tracks from games old and new and everything in between. We have guests and we have people from the team and we share our love of that particular part of this medium. Please review, rate and subscribe to both of those podcasts, that one and this one on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio or TuneIn or wherever else you get your downloads from. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 227 are Ryan Heyman. Good morning. Morning. Uh, Sean O'Brien. <laughs> Good afternoon. Good afternoon. And hang on, time zones suggest yeah. that Leah's in the same one as exactly, you. So yeah. Leah, how do? Good early evening. There you okay. Go. There you go. Sure, That'll sure. do. Truman Show welcome over uh so this is now our um how many what is this fifth sixth I've, I've already lost track of how many zelda podcasts we've done uh but we are into the new uh virgin territory of zelda games that weren't made by nintendo mm. so um we've discussed of course who the people who made the previous games were not always the same people there were different teams on different games different producers different directors and so on and so forth but this one its development is a little more complicated so the name of the team behind the game is flagship now flagship as i understand it was uh, is a sort of uh, it came out of a studio at capcom set up by a person uh, a, a person yoshiki okamoto who used to be a senior at uh, konami uh, he was uh, he was behind games Time Pilot and Gyrus and things like that in the early mm. Konami arcade days. Then he joined Capcom and worked on things like uh, Sidearms and Final Fight in 1942. Then he ended up setting up this flagship studio, uh, which uh, was um, received, I believe, from what I've read, received funding from Nintendo and Sega um, to produce games for them. Uh, but their first task, they were supposed to be a more... Um, uh, narrative sort of based studio the idea was that they would um, focus more on story and I believe their first task was to rewrite 
the story for Resident Evil 2 following uh, possibly following Resident Evil 1.5 or, or possibly earlier in development that I'm not sure um, but they ended up going on to become sort of handheld specialists mainly for Nintendo um, and working on they started on these Oracle games um, but they also did the GBA port of Link to the Past and they created the Four Swords games and the Minish Cap which we'll be covering later in the series as well um, they the studio was devol- uh, dissolved by Capcom in 2007, but uh, the employees were kept on. Um, but between the Minish Cap and that point, they worked on a, a load of Onimusha and Resident Evil stuff, uh, including uh, a couple of drafts of the Resident Evil 4 story that weren't used, um, and uh, and some of the Resident Evil spin-offs, including Code Veronica and the less perhaps less successful, popular, well-received ones, whatever you want to call it. Um, So the director is uh, uh, credited as Hidemar Fujibayashi. So his credits, you may have heard his name pop up recently. Um, He worked on a couple of uh, games that I'm really not familiar with, Japan-only games for the PlayStation, Saturn and 3DO. Um, But the first game of his that I am aware of was Magical Tetris Challenge for the N64 and Game Boy Color. Then he he directed these. um, And since then, uh, he has gone on to direct Four Swords, The Minish Cap, Phantom Hourglass, Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild. So uh, this is where it started for the man who is directing that next Zelda. Uh, At the time of recording, we've just seen it at E3. um, And I think... Fair, fair to say that the response overall, the reception has been highly positive. Um, but we're not here to preview games. Um, and I'm sure some people don't feel that way because some people always don't. But uh, but I think it won, I think it won like Game of the Show and stuff, didn't it? Um, yeah. It was certainly like won some IGN, awards. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. But if you have misgivings about some of these Zelda games, the Minish Cap, Phantom Hourglass, Skyward Sword, and I know some people do, uh, this is the guy who's bringing you <laughs> Breath of the Wild. So, uh, yeah, make of that what you want. I'll, I'll have to think about that one. I have mixed mm. feelings. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Yusuke Nakano is the um, the sort of the main artist, uh, a prolific Nintendo artist and illustrator who started work on Wario Land packaging, but then provided artwork for a lot of their absolute you know, famous games, Super Metroid and uh, Mario Kart 64 and stuff like that. Uh, so that's, he's behind the look. Um, and now, the can composers, I ask, when you say the uh, the yeah. artist, is that mostly for concept stuff? Because I noticed that a lot of the sprites are reused from uh, Link's yeah. Awakening. Link's Awakening, yeah. I think some, some of it will be concept, some of it will be actual uh, promotional artwork, okay. um, and some of it will be the, uh, because this game's got quite a few sort of cut scenes, it's got an intro mm, scene yeah, and, a, yeah. and an end sequence, and there's a couple of bits where it cuts away to like uh, the Black Tower and things like that. I think this uh, uh, Nakano-san will have been responsible for, for that stuff, that's as I understand it anyway. Uh, and music-wise, and we'll talk about the music separately as always, but uh, one of the musicians is Kiyohiro Sada, who uh, was already a, a, a veteran of, of the video game scene, having worked on things like Green Beret or Russian Attack, as you know over there, and uh, Contra. Um, but there's also uh, on this game is uh, Minako Adachi, 
who is best known for uh, Pokemon music on the Alpha, Sapphire, Amiga, Ruby, X and Y games and the TV series as well. Um, presumably because that's because the music carries over. Um, Koji Kondo only gets an advisor credit in uh, as, as the game rolls, but clearly some of his tunes are in here, um, including some from the Ocarina uh, Ocarina of Time, which have been chip tuned up, and we'll talk about that later on. So uh, this development stuff, I've only uh, researched this quite late in this process, um, but uh, having done a bit of reading, uh, the... Origin was that uh, Okamoto, previously mentioned of uh, Flagship, um, discussed with uh, Miyamoto at Nintendo, making, uh, doing a remake of The Legend of Zelda that we covered, the original game back in 80, uh, back in whichever issue it was, the 86 game. Um, and the idea was that they would make this uh, remake uh, Zelda, but update it and then perhaps follow it up with Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. Um, but uh development well it's described on one wiki as rather tumultuous um or tumultuous so i don't, i don't know exactly what happened there um but instead so they did they didn't carry on with that instead they went on to this far more ambitious project of the triforce series which was going to be three games the chapter of power the chapter of wisdom and the chapter of courage and they were all going to interlink and it wouldn't matter which one you played and in which order and the uh the trilogy became known as the mysterious seed trilogy or the mystical seed trilogy uh and in the end, that seemed to be uh, a case of uh, biting off more than they could realistically chew. And so it was cut down to the Oracle of Ages, which was based on the mystical seed of wisdom, uh, but using Courage's time mechanic and the Oracle of Seasons, which had been the mystical seed of power, which had the, uh, the season-changing wand in it. So, yeah, nice and straightforward development, a massive super group um, of famous developers uh, thrown together to make a ridiculously complicated trilogy of uh, Zelda games that were going to be remakes and then distilled down into two games. Anyway, they eventually came out in uh, 2001, February in Japan, May in America and October in the EU. Uh, so I suppose by that point, the Game Boy Advance was already out, wasn't it? So this was this was right at the end of the Game Boy Color period, which was only a sort of three-year run before the GBA kind of came in and replaced it. Uh, the only re-releases for the Oracle games um, have been on 3DS Virtual Console. They've recently been on sale, though they won't be by the time you hear this, but they were under uh, £2 or $3 each, I think. And they came out in uh, 2013. Um, reviews for the games uh, aggregated, some of these will be from at the time and some of these will be from uh, probably the virtual console re-releases. Mm. Um, but they averaged uh, for ages 92.2% and seasons 91.37%. I'm not quite sure why that one's slightly lower, but it may, may simply be that it had three more reviews than the other one. Um, we'll talk about the differences and uh, which comes first and that sort of thing. Sales-wise... Uh, they both sold about uh, 1.9 million copies across the world uh, physically. So they sold 3.8 million between them. Um, no idea, of course, as ever, about download sales. So 2001, 2013, more recently, uh, or somewhere in between, when did you pick this up, Leo? And what have you, or these, one of them, which, which have you played and, uh, and how? 
So uh, my experience with them has actually been very recent. Uh, similar to uh, Link's Awakening, I uh, never actually... I don't think I ever actually had a Game Boy Color, now that I come to think of it. I, I mm. definitely had an original Game Boy, but yeah. um, when the Game Boy Color was new, was a, you know, a, a current system, I did not have one, so I wouldn't have even had the system needed to play this um, when, it, when it was first released. But I did download uh both ages and seasons uh from the 3ds virtual console and specifically for this show and i uh played through ages um because i i kind of i kind of took a look around just to see generally Mm. what the difference was going to be um and i know we're, we're on the way to talking about this but ages seemed to be the one that was more puzzle centric whereas season correct, is yeah. more combat centric to just kind of mm-hmm. the, the the broad central difference um, yeah. and i i that attracted me more the the puzzle element uh so i decided to go with ages first i had good intentions of finishing seasons before uh the show but i did not unfortunately get to do that no, uh, it's, i still intend it's a lot of hours yeah, it, yeah. It, but um, I I, uh, I went through ages um, and it is they're not they're not kidding. There's a lot of puzzles um, huh. and it is yeah. it is very um, I guess it's not um, it's it's not uh, unfair to say that it is very um, uh, against the uh, the the idea that you really have to have a whole lot of combat for a, a game to be successful. There is combat. You still have a sword. You still have plenty of things that you need to uh, to take down enemies with. But even the boss fights, especially the boss fights, feel like puzzles rather than feeling like you just need to get close enough to it to hit it with your sword enough times for it to fall down Mm. um and i I really i really found that to be interesting and i'm curious to see when i do get to um to seasons and i've I've watched a a number of videos and and done some reading uh just to kind of see how they fit together but Mm. i'm curious to see how those uh how different exactly it is Mm. um Mm. because i i was i was really intrigued and i I, well, well I know we're, we're talking about this kind of in the wrap-up stage, but um, I I don't think that I liked these necessarily as much as I liked Link's Awakening, which I felt had a lot of parallels to this. There are a lot of assets that are reused. It has yeah. a very similar feel in many ways, but I, I really like the idea that they were working with here, and I think it's a, a vastly larger undertaking than Link's Awakening was. Oh, yeah. So... Mm. Absolutely. Sean, how about you? Um, my history is kind of similar to Leah's. I, I, I didn't have uh, a Game Boy Color back in the day. Um, and this, these also came out right around the time where I just kind of wasn't playing games in the early 2000s and late 90s. So I, I wasn't even really honestly aware of these games until um, they were put up on the calendar for the show. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I never heard of them. I never heard of Link's Awakening either until I you, played that. <laughs> you don't have omnipotent knowledge like the rest of the team, Sean. This is, <laughs> exactly. You're on yeah. thin Why am I even here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, He's a fraud. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but but I uh, I do have a 3DS, so I downloaded those um, not too long ago and went through. I got through uh, halfway through of ages before I said, no, I don't want to play any more of this right now. So I went to um, Seasons, went through all of that, and then went back to ages and, and kept oh, nice both one. off. So, yeah. Well done. 
Thank you, sir. But um, yeah, so all on 3DS, and I finished both of them, honestly, in this last like two weeks or so. So, Yeah. Cool. Ryan? Yeah, the Oracle of Seasons, I believe, was actually the first Zelda game that I ever played. Um, oh. This is something that my brother and I had picked up for Game Boy Color back in the old, old days. And I, I think I beat it back then. I think so, because I do remember <laughs> seeing some stuff towards the end of the game. Um, right. You know, it all kind of looked familiar. Um, but then more recently, uh, just in preparation for the show, I went back and played Oracle of Ages and most of Seasons um, just to kind of brush up on that one. But yeah, I, I go a long ways back with Seasons. Wow. Yeah. Um, I suppose I do, but I only just got around to actually playing them. I, I didn't have a Game Boy Color, but I bought a Game Boy Advance SP <clears throat> in 2003 and they were, uh, you could play Game Boy Color games in those. Uh, they would stick out in an unattractive fashion from the back of your <laughs> otherwise neat clamshell M, uh, SP. But, uh, but I bought, I bought at least one of them, possibly both, um, probably secondhand, um, had a look at them, didn't get around to playing them. Usual story. In the end, they finally came out when they when they came up for Virtual Console. It was uh, it was a no brainer for me to download download them to 3DS. So I've been playing them on my N3DS XL uh, with Majora's Mask on it, and uh, so I played Seasons first um, because I read that was canonically first, and I followed it up with Ages, and I finished that yesterday. Uh, after having quite a lot of trouble with the final boss mm. um, and having to uh, do the thing which uh, which our uh, Kane and Rince uh, member, Mikhail, is, uh, is, is very anti using the uh, save scumming. But frankly, it was either that or not finish the game in the end. Uh, I was running out of time and walkthrough. Um, I, I tried to avoid using walkthroughs as far as possible for both games, but there are a couple of sequences, uh, particularly in the latter half of ages where I would have been stuck for weeks um, mm. had I not basically yeah. looked to, to at least put me on the right path. Um and yeah, so again, I think it's always worth admitting these things because, um, you know, contextually, I think it's really important because it mm -hmm. definitely does affect your experience with the game, how you're playing them. Sure. Um, but the nature of this podcast is we do, I think completing them is the most important thing. And I think sometimes sort of uh, bending the rules to do that is more important for me than to, you know, give up. But, you know, some people may have their own take on that and think that actually the more realistic experience is to get stuck and run out of time. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, this is our this is our USP. So we get to the end. We got to the end by hook or by crook. Um, yeah, so there it is. Um, I will issue a spoiler warning because this game, you know, has a story. It has elements of other Zeldas, but it also has its own land and its own characters. Um, some familiar, some not so familiar. To be honest, beyond the absolutely bare outline of the plots, I couldn't tell you anyway. But it's yeah. entirely possible that <laughs> I or one of the or one of the other of your other uh, hosts here may say something about something that happens towards the end. We'll certainly talk about the linked ending and and the final boss and stuff anyway. So there it is. Um, but I'm <clears> pretty <throat> sure that knowing anything about the story wouldn't spoil no. your enjoyment of the of the gameplay. 
so yeah, which comes first is an interesting topic. Um, so the idea, as we heard from the development, is that you can play them in any order, and you absolutely can. Mm -hmm. And there is, uh, if you go searching on forums and that, you will find some serious, serious fans of this game who say that you know the only real way to play it, or or the best way to play it, is to play first one, then the other, then the other, then the first one again. Let's say you like play them all the way through in both orders, so you can see the very slight differences that you'll get from doing it that way. But according to a few uh, things I read, um, Seasons is canonically and chronologically first. Hmm. I have also um, heard that. Yeah. So I, I really don't think it matters. But the key thing is what Leah said. In terms of your experience, um, Seasons is the one that has the most about it that seem seem like throw seem seems as though they might be throwbacks to the remake yeah, of the absolutely. original Legend of Zelda idea, yeah. some of the bosses and some of the the dungeons and and things. Mm -hmm. Whereas Ages feels very much like a a completely well completely new as 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 far as a game that uses loads of assets from a nineteen ninety three <laughs> slash nineteen ninety eight uh, game can be. But it it um, seasons felt more familiar to me. Um, yeah. But yes, it was more uh, challenging in terms of combat and platforming, whereas Ages has, as as we said, some of the more um, obscure and difficult puzzles, I would say. So it has this, yeah, so the, the, the feature, I suppose, um, is the fact that they released these on the same day. Um, it wasn't three in the end, as we saw, it was two. Uh, I don't know... You know how many people would have just bought the one? These were full price games, as I recall. You know, this these would have been forty pounds over here, mm. presumably. I don't know how much a full price Game Boy Color game was in dollars over there, but maybe forty dollars or fifty dollars. I don't know. Um, but to buy them both would have been a, a stretch for many, I'm sure. Uh, I've seen these games in like secondhand shops uh, more times than than lots of other Game Boy games. Um, they seem to they seem to come up a lot. Um, but the linking factor, uh, you could, I believe you could do it with a link cable, but there's a password, uh, password option as well. And as well as, um, like the main one for me, uh, I don't know if you did this, Sean, uh, or you, Ryan. Uh, the main one for me was the taking the end game code into the start of your second adventure. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, because that means that the game does, you know, continue effectively. The story sure, continues. Yeah. There's, there's an, I mean, the, the game is self-contained, <clears throat> but the overarching story with, which is kind of bolted on anyway, because it's, it's essentially the, the extra stuff with the extra big, bad, uh, twin mm -hmm. Rover and Ganon, yeah. um, is, is there, but there are various, um, there are little vignettes and moments where people crop up and say, ah, I remember you from, you know, whichever land the other one was, uh, and that sort of thing. And I, you know, I, th I thought this stuff was, was pretty neat. Um, in, in mm. some ways playing these games back to back, uh, I think ages took me, seasons took me about 21 hours and ages took me about 26 hours. So best part of 50 hours for these two, which, you know, after having back to back to all the other Zeldas, it mm. could have led to some burnout, but these link up factors actually, sort of kept me interested. The hooks mm. between the two games seemed sort of, uh, yeah, ambitious and quite fascinating. 
in a purely mechanical perspective, something else that I had heard when I was deciding which one I wanted to uh, to try and go through first is that given that you can use passwords and, and the game link feature and all of that, uh, I believe, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but that some of your your gear and some of the things that yeah. you obtain mm-hmm. do carry over. Transfers so over. if you're attempting to do a combat-heavy run through seasons, then mm-hmm. it can frequently be advantageous to go through ages first even though it doesn't chronologically come first because you might have better things on your side when you go in to actually try and you know just do the slashy slashy bits yeah it's uh i think it's easier to just happen across and get the half damage ring in Mm -hmm. uh in ages than it is in seasons but it's more useful in seasons so yeah um the thing i didn't really try there's although i noted i've noted down a lot of passwords on on the notes function on my phone um but there's bits where characters crop up from the the game that you played previously and say hey i remember you from such and such tell me tell this guy in this other game this secret yeah and then give, yeah. they'll give you a five letter clo- five letter code and i'm not actually mm. sure what those do if i'm honest uh, yeah, i meant to meant to research but i assume it gives you you know goodies but sure. what goodies whether it's rings or um other gear i don't know mm. did anyone manage to do that no I, I i i ran into a couple of those characters myself but i never did actually follow through with it and i'm curious to find out actually i wish i would have looked this up but if they because so much of this game is based on what's that called rng random number random number generation there you go mm-hmm. yeah yeah where like you know it could you could get a ring out of a gosh nut or or hearts or or i wonder if that kind of stuff is random too and that would that would actually probably drive me crazy if that was the mm-hmm. case yeah, we've got a we've got a post about about that aspect of these games later on, um, yeah. and and it's it's going to open up a little discussion about uh, yeah how it might affect your your gameplay depending on mm-hmm. how you play these games. Yeah, yeah. I was um, pretty impressed the, by the password system. Like for yeah. a relatively short password compared to some of the stuff that we were entering into the NES cartridges <laughs> back in the yeah. old days, like yeah. it remembered a fair amount of information. Um, I, I think. There were some things that were really cool, like the uh, the couple who were raising the kid remembered that I named him Jay Z across both games, which is neat. <laughs> and um, but some what? things that were a little annoying, like the fact that the animal companion, which I kind of inadvertently chose in the first game yeah. without even realizing I was doing it, carried over to the second mm. game, and so I didn't really get to experience the variety of the different animal companions. Like I was always just kind of stuck uh, okay. with one of them. Both you do get to it. try them all, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, a little bit. But I, I thought it would have been cool to kind of trade it off between the two games. I I did not really use my animal companion that much, other than when yeah. you kind of have to, though. So yeah, oh yeah, certain yeah. Certain sequences where you definitely have to. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So this game has uh, rideable animal companions. Um, obviously, this was post uh, Ocarina and Majora's Mask, so we had seen this before, but not in uh, not in the previous handheld game. Um, but rather than a little pony, these were uh, a bear, a lizard, and a kangaroo. Um, and yeah, I didn't realize that you could kind of, um, depending on, the, I wasn't ever quite sure of the conditions, but yeah, apparently. The one that gives you their tune to call them mm-hmm. is the one that you end up with, and how what which one gives you that tune depends on what whether you've talked to them in a certain way or something. I, don't I know. think it's you have to find one of the three different horns that you used to call them, and there were different like yeah. you can get one from a store, you can get one by satisfying a certain quest right, condition, yeah. and 
And then uh, it, it does remix a fairly sizable chunk of the world map to make it traversable by that animal specifically. And so there are going to be little differences in uh, in our maps, even depending on which animal we chose. Right. Yeah. So you've got a uh, sort of bear thing, Mooj, is it, who can Moosh, flutter? Yeah. Moosh, who can flutter and slam, butt slam. Um, you've got uh, Dimitri, who's a, a water dragon type creature who you rescued from rescued from being beaten up on a beach, uh, who can even go up waterfalls. You've got a, a, a boxing kangaroo, which reminds me of the uh, what they were. I think they were called the Tailors out of uh, Mega Bomberman, and also one of the other super one of the Super Bomberman games. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the end, for me, like like Leah says, they they pretty much become a you know a a, a gear gating tool. You know, they mm-hmm. they are they are there to to unlock the gate. The, the idea of calling one in just to walk walk around the map would be completely pointless. I would have thought, mm. um, unless you were in a particularly tough area and you had the boxing kangaroo, Ricky. Mm-hmm. Maybe I kind of wish they'd done more with that because it's a neat idea yeah. that you can you know customize which companion you you bring around with you but it just it, it, it did kind of fall a little bit flat for me so the scenarios um this is not like link's awakening uh in that uh you get shipwrecked and wake up stranded on a beach you just kind of get warped into these places mm-hmm. um and both uh, each game has a separate world and we should say that in terms of um overall layout they these are completely different yeah. this is not this is not pokemon uh you know blue and green or whatever this is this is uh two separate games i think some other games have done this sort of simultaneous release thing I, i'm not sure about like the uh, pokemon ranger games and the and the dragon quest monsters games i'm not sure if those are more like pokemon or whether these whether they are distinctly separate adventures but i think there may have been some consumer confusion even but these are for all for the for the linking thing and obviously they share assets and they have the same control mechanism and the same you know menus and stuff like that but mm-hmm. the start to finish adventure the map layout the dungeons are all completely distinct mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, absolutely yeah um so it is two it is to all intents and purposes two handheld zelda games not one slightly remixed into another one i think mm-hmm. it's that we should stress that because i don't I, I got the feeling from some some comments that that i've had while playing these that they weren't really aware of that yeah um but yeah the the scenario and setting the thing for me is without as i say i don't think for me there's not much of interest to talk about other than you know yes you've got some you've got some uh you know some bad guys trying to doom the land basically (laughs) um but the thing that felt slightly off to me was that it it didn't have the sort of first party nintendo oddness like mm, if there mm-hmm. if there was one element that made me initially think these are like not not bad cover versions but cover versions of Nintendo games mm-hmm, mm. it was the sort of overall look and feel of the characters and the story it seemed yeah. somehow slightly you know just kind of a bit more Generic. bit more cap bit more capcom really you know which is <laughs> yeah. fine i love capcom yeah. but nintendo do what nintendo do yeah and it didn't yeah. have the same atmosphere for me yeah like going from links awakening which was this bizarre like dream world <laughs> with all these totally. like you know uh vanishing uh mysterious what was that a spy uh sky turtle or whatever that thing was i can't remember windfish <laughs> there you go windfish yeah, 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 yeah. Fish, yes yeah going from that to just like your very generic bad guy steals uh damsel and you go and 
yeah. save her through all these dungeons. Yeah, it just felt really um felt very generic to me. And even from the beginning of each story, like they jump I'm not expecting like War and Peace, you know, like I I don't want this long no, no, no. interesting, you know, Last of Us prologue, but it like jumped a little bit too quickly into the story for me. Like he just walks into this room. There's yeah. the Triforces there. He disappears. He just warps to this land that needs him, I guess. And then, like, yeah. the next screen over, the story starts. The girl's gone. You know, it just it went a little bit too quickly for me to even care. And then, yeah, and the rest of the story just plays out very generically as well for both games, honestly. But, I mean, it, nothing inoffensive. Just uh, nothing to really... That's really going to stick with me, I don't think. Given mm. how hard Nintendo swung the other way with some of the later Zelda games and right, having yeah. the incredibly long run-ups to the actual action that's sure that's yeah. An inter- yeah i had not considered that but that's really interesting <laughs> merciful maybe uh yeah. in, in in the case in of some, some. cases yeah. but again that that contrast you know the last game we covered uh because it came out chronologically one you know about a year before this um was majora's mask and that was you know really um obviously kind of character story heavy for a zelda mm-hmm. game and mm-hmm. atmosphere wise was you know this really as we talked about this really moody dark yeah. almost nihilistic at times zelda uh, <laughs> and then we've gone back to this very you know sort of um traditional yeah very bog sure. standard yeah. um that said i suppose um there were something the 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 fact that the lands you know they set it in places other than hyrule sure um yeah. allowed them to be slightly more uh, you know, I think the, the the overworld, particularly in ages, doesn't just feel like another version of the same map. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it has a lot of the same elements. Obviously, you got the mountains at the top and and uh, and the sea at the bottom and stuff like that uh, to keep you oriented. But um, but the way you know, this was the first game on a handheld that actually used color properly because we'd had Link's Awakening DX in '98, but that was a, a, a a coloured in version of a black right, and white yeah. game. Whereas here you've got very distinctly colourful areas. And although the Game Boy Colour didn't have the, the broadest palette, um, I thought they, they actually did quite a nice job with the, the resolution and the colours that they had. Mm-hmm. And frequently in ages at least, that's part of a lot of the puzzles. They yeah. added in the colour dungeon in uh, Link's Awakening uh, DX. But yeah. in the regular dungeons, as you said, since they weren't originally Game Boy Colour games that was kind of an afterthought here. It's been woven into a lot of the puzzles from the beginning. So you get a lot more of that. And I think it's done pretty well. Yeah. There's the tile jumping uh, to change, change the colors of the room with enemies that disguise themselves, camouflage themselves on the colored backgrounds. And there's these little blocks with uh, different colored uh, surfaces that you have to uh, sort of do the, the devil dice thing of, um, of uh, making sure the correct surface is at the top when when you plug them in and that and that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's true. I thought there was enough stuff between these two games that were uh, just little things that kind of kept me interested. Um, I, I did like that Oracle of Ages paired you up with a kind of competing adventurer who was <laughs> yeah, like, going yeah. along his own adventure alongside Ralph. you. Ralph. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he's just kind of like, he's, he's a little bit more of the kind of like bumbling hero, but he does have his, his share of moments that are like, yeah, you know what? Like, I, I wouldn't mind playing your game as well because you seem like a, like a, <laughs> like a neat guy. Uh, and then um, Oracle of Seasons had uh, Sabrosia, was it? The underground yeah. world? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, That's a cute 
Yeah, I, I love the designs of the Subrosians down there. Like, I think mm-hmm. that they're uh, just really fun to look at. Um, and the idea of an unknown society kind of living underneath our own is interesting. Mm. And mm. Um, I guess, if anything, I don't feel like it was really adequately explored in this game. Like, neither mm. race really came into conflict with each other or had any great moments of, like, discovery yeah. of the yeah. others or or conflict between the two of them. And, um, yeah. you know, even though the the hooded fellow at the beginning of the game made mm. it very clear that he was trying to be sneaky and didn't want to be seen yeah. like yeah. that, whatever he was afraid of and whatever kind of conflict was being implied by that didn't really ever come to full fruition. Um, but uh, one thing that I was a little disappointed by was that the the connection between the above ground and underground aspects of the, uh, of the game weren't really a priority. Um, I guess, especially clear in the placement of the, uh, the temple, which doesn't match up between the two maps. That That's no. a, a tower, a tower structure that's tall enough to kind of poke through the ground and exist in both worlds, but it's in, you know, completely the wrong place in um, between the two yeah. maps. So it's a little frustrating, but um, overall, I think it's a really neat idea and something that uh, it could be explored a little bit more if they decided to put more time and energy into that. So I don't know about the rest of you. I'd be really interested to hear, but the points where both of these games at various uh, junctures, actually mainly ages, but it's occasionally seasons too. I was just thinking about the, uh, the working out, kind of where to try to get to in Subrosia next via these teleports. Mm. Um, the the things that got me stuck in these games most, apart from some particular dungeon puzzles, was mainly how to get to the next area that I'm supposed to be at. Sometimes the game would yeah. be quite oblique about where you're supposed to be. And I know this is partly a Zelda thing. This is partly what the game is, is trying to work this stuff out and trying stuff yeah. out. And obviously, yeah. again... Contextually, I think it's important to say that playing on a deadline is not always ideal for these games where you've yeah. got to, you know, yeah. th- try a lot of stuff out because it can get very stressful. Um, but I think some of the sort of working out which bit to get to next in whether it be in Subrosia or across the sea in the, in in ages or, or whatever, um, I, I found really quite sort of. Well, yeah, I don't know if mentally taxing is the right word, but it, mm-hmm. it didn't seem to necessarily make a lot of sense or the clues didn't seem to be strong enough. Yeah, yeah. Again, I completely concede to, to people listening who sailed through these games that I'm, you know, probably not being that bright and I'm missing obvious <laughs> clues and stuff like that. Um, and I did do a lot of it without, as I say, I did an awful lot of it without cheating, as it were. Mm-hmm. But there were some sections, particularly there's a there's a sequence in Ages which involves you having to play these Goron mini-games. Yeah. Um, and the actual navigation of the world at that point is, to me, it felt incredibly complicated and yeah. time-consuming. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, is this just me? Am I being stupid? Or were, no. did we all have similar <laughs> issues? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm with you. Well, it's weird. I had a lot... I had a much easier time with Seasons than ages mm. and as far mm. as traversing and where knowing where to go next and i don't know if it's just because i found the map a little bit more memorable or if it's because i played ages first and wasn't pre- mentally prepared or or whatnot but mm. there was something about seasons that i i felt a little bit more um at ease knowing where to go next and mm. and I, with ages was really struggling with it especially because with ages you're going back and forth in time and yeah that whole 
uh, mechanic of, of, of playing the flute or a harp, I guess. Um, is that what it is? I can't remember. Is it a harp? Yeah, it's a funny yeah. looking, yeah. funny looking little thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and going back and forth, that, that whole sequence takes like five seconds probably. Yeah. But that's just enough time to annoy me. And, yeah. and having, and especially if you do it, you go back or forward in time and you do it, you get to the map and then you're on top of a tree. So it's like, uh-huh. nope, you couldn't do it there. So it <laughs> yep. sends you back again. And, oh, God. It was mm. driving me nuts. So, yeah, it's just something about. When it lets you go through that entire sequence and play the song, but you're not standing anywhere where you can actually warp. So it just says, right, yeah. Song exactly. echoed in vain. Yeah. Oh, mm. Then why God, didn't you stop this. me? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just stuff like yeah. that, like drove me nuts about ages. In, in both of these games, there are uh, quite a bit of traversal puzzles center around yeah. the uh, the season that you're in or the age that you're right. in, and I think a mm-hmm. lot of that is much better communicated in Oracle of Seasons because you can yeah, look around so and see like. Oh, you know, there's a um, there's a, a snow avalanche that's blocking mm-hmm. the way that I want to go, and so I just need to change it to spring, and I'll be I'll be dandy. Right. Um, whereas in ages, other than a couple like oh, there probably used to be like a climbing vine here. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit more oblique. Like, you just kind of have yeah. to experiment a little bit more. And they did make it easier to go back and forth between the ages in ages, yeah. at least like two thirds of the way through the game, where you got the. Yeah ability to just play the song anywhere rather than standing on a yeah. circle on the ground but um, yeah. yeah i think it is uh, it is better really communicated f- in seasons yeah and i think that's you know by design as we said i think philosophically the idea of the design of each game was that seasons would be the the you know the the, the quicker experience the more yeah. the more action centric mm-hmm. but having said that you know some of those seasons puzzles are actually you know I, i'm always a sucker for the representation of seasons in games so mm-hmm. i i, I en- not only did i enjoy the mechanic but it, you know I, I i liked the puzzles yeah the yeah. idea that you could um you could uh, cover holes with leaves in the autumn or you could yeah. um you know make an area more accessible with uh with snow in the in in the winter or or whatever it was um that was a cool idea and obviously yeah. we'd seen time we hadn't really seen something exactly like that before whether whereas we'd just done time travel because right, you know we're sure. playing these in chronological order and we may have done even back in the day we just did time travel in majora's mask in a different way mm-hmm. uh, and in ocarina as well in another slightly different yeah. way but actually it's more the the time travel in this is closer to the ocarina um model um, kind of reminds me of uh, banjo kazooie of click clock woods how oh, everything yes. is just yeah. kind of slightly different and you're like oh i see what that you know ledge is supposed to be for now <laughs> yeah that's right yeah um and uh, yeah i like these ideas but uh I, yeah, I just I just felt that some of the the world traversal, even you know, as I say, I, I do acknowledge that part of um, these games has traditionally been like the puzzles are, especially in the handheld ones. Although these were only the second and third handheld games at this point, but I remember saying this about Awakening as well. It was like a lot of the game was, and and a link to the past as well. Actually thinking about it, a lot of the game is literally puzzling out how to get yeah. from a to b right, yeah. um whether it be you know traveling first to the light world then to the dark world or or to get to go to this particular square and then mm-hmm. uh, and then travel through time and so you can get down another staircase and so on and that is you know that is part of the game but at points i just felt it was quite obscure and oblique yeah. uh, it would have been to, nice if the map the was a little better too yeah yeah, yeah it would have helped 
the key change I think in this one is, uh, and I think we've got some, yeah, we got some correspondence on this as mm -hmm. well, is that in Link's Awakening, I think they completely stuck to it being one screen as one square on the map. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, whereas in this, it's not quite so straightforward in that respect, maybe. Yeah. I think it uh, might. St I, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure about this. I think it mm. might still be on the world map, but it's definitely not in the dungeons. Oh, right. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, the the I I would and I, uh, talking about the ages. Um, although uh, if you are in a in certain areas, like in the in the in the, in the main village in ages it's very apparent when you're in the past because uh, everything's sepia toned and sure. the shacks look oldie worldy and and this sort of thing but there were other points where i completely forgot whether i was in what is referred to as our time by ralph which is the modern world or mm -hmm. um or the past and even more confusingly there there didn't always seem to be a, a logistical plot reason why you would have to tackle certain bits in the past yeah. now some things made sense like there's a there's a perfectly logical and pleasing uh section again apart from the actual traversal of the landscape which i found really confusing but there's a poisoned area of water this is mm. you know we've seen this before um and so it makes perfect sense that you go back in the past and you fix the problem that's poisoning the water and then yeah. jabu jabu who's who's in this one as well uh grows up to to uh be big and let you into his mouth into his belly um that made that made logical sense, but there were other points where I would like complete a section in the modern world and then or the past, and then it would say, and now you have to go and kill this person or or mm -hmm. you know challenge this area, and then it would either be in the past or the modern world, and it didn't yeah. it didn't seem to lo make logical sense to me at all, at all points. But again, I may have just been misunderstanding the the deeply intricate plot that <laughs> flew over my head. <laughs> I don't know. No, I think that was a particular issue in, um, I don't remember, it was a, like the fifth or sixth dungeon, where you actually, mm. solving the dungeon involves flipping back and forth and leaving yeah. the dungeon and flipping it. And that, that didn't Great always, idea, I, I, add, yeah, yeah it's, a really, it's a really neat plan, but I, I had, uh, that's, that's one of the, the times when I definitely needed to use a walkthrough because I, I never, well, I say never, but I, it would have taken me a long time to figure that out on mm. my own. Uh, mm. I just, I, there were some, some, I mean, there were plenty of clues and I know a lot of people actually were able to, uh, to go through that and, and solve it all on their own. I just, it wasn't always making the best logical sense to me. So this game in total has, um, like 16, 17 dungeons plus, mm. uh, you know, if you take, if you take this as one experience okay. uh you've got eight in each game plus uh plus a couple of oddments the, the the final sort of dungeon that you play if you've linked the games isn't really a, a dungeon it's just a, a traditional sort of zelda maze with a with a cute little puzzle to find your way through very classic nintendo thing where there's a right path and a wrong path and you have to mm -hmm. take take the right sequence but mm -hmm. but yeah there's 16 dungeons across these games both games have um different items now obviously the, the gameplay itself the actual top-down, side-on <laughs> gameplay is, is very familiar. Um, it feels identical pretty much to Link's Awakening. Yeah. Um, the assets are the same. The feel of the combat is the same. The way you yep. move is the same. All that sort of thing. So, that, so that's, you know, it was basically like it isn't broke and 
we're doing these ridiculously ambitious games, so let's not worry about the fundamentals because Nintendo, mm. Te- Takashi Tezuka and his team got all that, you know, spot on. Uh, yeah. we, at this point, that was eight years ago, of course. So it was quite, it's quite weird that this game's using assets from a from an eight year old previous gen game, mm-hmm. um, in in some ways. Um, but the actual puzzles are quite distinct. The dungeon puzzles, the rooms, uh, the the layouts, and the feel are quite distinct across the two games. You don't yeah. even have the same set of items in both games. I mean, that's right. how how different they are. So, um, taking a broad sweep. Um, yeah, how 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 do each of each of you feel about the the overall? Because obviously, you know, we've said before, Zelda can sort of live and die on its on its dungeon puzzle mm-hmm. design to an extent, or it's certainly a core part of the experience. So, do you think the uh, the flagship team managed to uh, you know keep the standard up? Mm. If there was any puzzle that involved um, you being able to fall off of a ledge. I was about to throw my 3DS across the room. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's like the actual design that they use as compared to Link's Awakening, but I had so much more trouble staying like going on a straight line in this game or 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 jumping huh. across to another ledge. I don't know what it was. I kept I died more from that than mm. from any other boss or enemy in the game. <laughs> It was really weird to me. Like I, I just, I felt like there was something about the design that just wasn't clicking with me in my, head. it just wasn't clicking with my brain to where I could stay above ground. I think that actually, I do remember one sequence where I was asked to, after I might be contradicting myself after saying everything's the same, but I did wonder if they've maybe made the the safe zone in terms of collision, you know, mm. uh, mm-hmm. detection slightly smaller on certain maybe. platforms in in this game because yeah, there was a, there's a there's a few jumping sequences on puzzles, yep. the top down ones, not the side on ones, which feel right, yeah, identical yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, where you're jumping over uh, yeah holes or, or so, yeah. on moving platforms, there were some bits where it felt like I was aiming right for the center of something and mm-hmm. and any sort of two pixels off mm-hmm. and you get that thing where it's obviously the the intention is to make you feel like you're teetering on the edge before falling yeah. off and you yeah. lose control um yeah it did seem a bit um a bit frustrating uh yeah. with some of those bits and especially when you they give you the um the seed uh pegasus seeds where you can jump further if you're if you're you take one of those seeds and then you run further like for me that like in some sequences i would look at the le- ledges and say okay i can make this jump because I've jumped over two holes before using this Pegasus C and I yeah. wouldn't make the jump. And there's just there's some inconsistencies there. But those were the only kind of puzzles that I had trouble with. I liked a lot of the color puzzles where um, they're very basic, so maybe that's why I like them. You know I have trouble with puzzles. It's a Silent Hill episode. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no washing but, machine puzzles. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, any kind of like, you know, you, you look on the left side of the room and there's and these uh, statues are set up a very certain way. And you have yeah, to, I like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and like pulling in and out and stuff like mm. that. And moving around um, big giant jugs or, or vases or whatever those were. Uh, I liked all those kind of puzzles. All right, I think on the positive side, I really liked the uh, the addition of the seed pouch. Um, it gave you a little yeah. bit more kind of flexibility and utility, and it compacted a lot of the um, probably just disparate items that were in previous Zelda games into um, it kind of like one, not one item, because you still had to switch between the seeds. But um, yeah, they, they were yeah. pretty handy, yeah. uh, especially the tornado seed, which could warp you to yeah. various points on the yeah. map. and. Uh, it's just kind of nice to have, like, it, it felt more kind of, like, everything was, uh, it felt more consistent in that way, instead mm-hmm. of giving me all kinds of different types of items. But, um, mm-hmm. 
the and then those seeds were kind of iterated upon in various ways. You got seed launchers and stuff like that. And yeah, so that was slingshot. That was kind of fun. Um and then on the negative side, one thing that really annoyed me, and I think it was in Oracle of Ages only, was getting the mermaid tail. Like mm. without even warning me, it just changed my swimming controls like halfway That's through the so game. Weird. <laughs> yep. And I had a lot of trouble with that. I, I was very happy with the way that swimming was working beforehand, and I thought my device was just not working once yeah. I got that. Like, <laughs> yeah. while I'm holding right while I'm trying moving at all. The the biggest point of frustration for me in the entire uh, two games was, I think it was in Ages, um, you, you are swimming underwater, and there's this point where you have to kind of, like, navigate in between these various whirlpools and stuff, and it's just <sighs> really tight corners you have to make, and I uh, did not appreciate that at all. Mm, I didn't have too many problems with that bit, but yeah, I did. Uh, you know, I was just like, is this actually, the, what, you know, an upgrade normally makes things more fun, not less fun. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Yeah, that was that was a slightly odd decision. Um, it was obviously meant to, you know, sort of in some ways simulate the feel of having a, a flippy mermaid tail. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, really, really odd decision, that one. Mm-hmm. I think it just was poorly communicated. Yeah, that yeah, too, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I had the same issue with um, with Moosh's uh, flappy jump as well in the first when yeah. I was playing seasons. Like, why can't I jump over these enormous gaps? Oh, you got to hammer the A button. Right. Um, yeah. Maybe I was just you know I I did have message speed set to maximum and I was hammering through yeah. some of that stuff. So it's probably partly my fault. I think the worst puzzle, and, and this wasn't even necessary necessarily a puzzle per se but i spent probably more time in this one room than i did in any other room was which one in ages in maybe the fourth or fifth dungeon it was one right in the middle there's a point where you reach a room that is almost completely dark and there's a chest in the middle oh yeah 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 and the paths are invisible and you're supposed to like chuck seeds Mm. in front of you so you can see kind of where the path Ah. was I there's a, fell off. There's, there's a better solution. Path. Yeah. So many times. <laughs> I yeah, there, that was yeah. infuriating. There is a slightly better solution. I'm sure seeds, there but... is, but I didn't find it. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the um you've got the uh, the yeah the cane of um Samaria. No, it was so before could... I had the cane. Oh. Maybe maybe I got that. Ah, uh, you you need to get back there once yeah, you so had maybe, the cane. Maybe and, I did yeah, that yeah. in the uh, yeah cl- classic thing. Than... <laughs> that probably yeah. would have made it a lot easier. Oh. Yeah, yeah it was still quite annoying. The way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, I feel like um, you know, apart from those few that, I, and I can't remember which ones they are or in which games, but um, you know, the odd ones in the in the late games, particularly in ages where, uh, I yeah, I think there was there was one. I think it's the penultimate dungeon in ages where having consulted a solution, I felt justified in consulting a solution because it was the, the backtracking was ludicrous. Um, it was, you know, go here and then go all the way around there. And the, you've got these, um, these uh, spinning uh, rotating platforms. I can't remember if these had come in in Awakening or not. Because so. we're playing all the Zeldas back to back, so this is where we get Just confusing get a lot. Easy, yeah, <laughs> yeah um, but there are these, uh, g- you know, gated turntables where you can go in, and you can only they only go uh, in one direction. Right, so yeah, um, yeah. the way the way to traverse is to uh, work your way round the map to approach them from a different mm-hmm. angle. Once you've pointed them in different ways, so you can get out of say so. There's four paths. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, one of these dungeons towards the end of ages was just 
just the amount of going round and looping around the same areas time and time again and backtracking. Um, yeah, like generally I would, you know, start a dungeon and do as much as I could before I felt so stumped that I wasn't going to get the game completed in time to do the podcast. <laughs> um, and normally I'll get a, a decent chunk of the way in, but uh, but this one, one I, I think I still had about a third of it to do when I when I started looking it up. And um, yeah, it was just like, yeah, I, I honestly could have probably, you know, spent another five hours in there just getting horribly lost and frustrated and <laughs> probably given up mm -hmm. so but again you know your mileage may vary people who have a particular aptitude for solving these sorts of um, puzzles mm -hmm. may do better or those who are less adept at solving these sorts of puzzles than me i'm sure there are some people out there um, may have got bored and frustrated even earlier in the game so mm -hmm. um so i don't know but overall my feeling was apart from some of the late game stuff particularly in ages the puzzle heavy one was yeah. that um i wasn't constantly thinking Oh well, Nintendo's first party team wouldn't have done that. I wasn't constantly thinking, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, this is so you know, this is like a yeah, uh, this is like a straight to DVD a B team. Pu yeah. puzzle." Yeah, it didn't really feel like that to me a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, even if the overall vibe of the game felt different, felt otherly, as I say, like a cover or mm -hmm. uh, something like that, it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily that the, the standard felt like wildly different. And I think the reviews at the time, you know, the reviews reflect that. Um, uh, they were they were generally you know very very positive. Uh, yeah, some other I mean there are some other new items um, like some of the the traditional Zelda items aren't there. And again, I'm trying to think actually what were the traditional Zelda items at this point <laughs> in the history of Zelda? Uh, yeah. The boomerang is optional in both games. You don't actually have to get it. I only got it in the first game. Um, there uh, there's this seed shooter. Uh, which um, gives you some more sort of traditional arcade style puzzles in that you're actually firing stuff at angles off walls, mm -hmm, uh, yeah. seeds to light light uh, light flames and stuff like that. And I, I, you know, I like that stuff because it mm -hmm. it's it's the sort of sort of thing I enjoy. In the in the in I keep saying the first game in seasons, you get a triple shooter, um, yeah. and that allows you to to. Uh, hit multiple things at once, opening up another few avenues, um, you know, depending on how far away you're standing from things, you have to judge the angles as well as bouncing things off walls and uh, and all that. I, I appreciated all that. Um, there's a, uh, the, instead of a hook shot, you've got something which actually swaps your play location with a, mm -hmm. with the thing you're hooking onto. And that gives you a, I thought that was cool. Yeah, so you've got a whole load of new, um, slightly new way of solving switch puzzles because you're actually working out how to get these uh, normally diamond blocks from one place to another. Uh, and what I found was, uh, I think one of the things that I was sort of, um, I've become slightly numb to that we complained about quite a lot in Awakening was the constant switching of yeah, items. Yeah. I got kind of used to it. Me too. Um, <laughs> but having said that, I think more of the puzzles in this game demanded that you do it even yeah. more because I think yeah. there are there are more puzzles For in this sure. game that use like three or four items mm -hmm. in a room rather than just one or two. Yeah. Even a boss, I think there's one boss where you have to um yeah. Yeah, shoot the seed at them and then hit them with the sword and then and then they yeah. uh, pop back up and you, yeah, you have to Yeah, some some sometimes they get a little bit too um a little bit too ambitious maybe. <laughs> yeah, they were definitely um there were definitely bosses where I felt like I wanted four action buttons. And obviously yeah. that's mm -hmm. it's the hardware's 
fault. Of course, you know yeah, when yeah. we should we should bear in mind that when the first Game Boy came out in 1989, it, it had it's yeah well yeah it had two buttons, but the first two games on it were Mario Super Mario, which used mm-hmm. two buttons, dash mm-hmm. and jump, and Tetris, Tetris which used yep. no buttons uh, necessarily. Um, yeah. So, but maybe you know when they upgraded to the Game Boy Color. I think we were already in a world by 1998 where maybe four buttons would have been a decent mm-hmm. idea to have yeah. four buttons on some of these bosses so you could have a Pegasus seed and a feather and mm-hmm. a sword and a another item, whether it yeah. be the gloves or the, or, or whatever. Um, would have been nice, but obviously, yeah, just, mm-hmm. just not possible. And obviously the way they re- they re- release things on virtual console is they're not, yeah. not going to start actually, you know, mucking around with the with the core mechanics um other items i think of note would be the positive negative gloves yep, in seasons gloves. yeah we've never seen those back have we am i right in thinking that doesn't that's the first time i saw them yeah i, I don't think so all, but yeah i really like them i i had a uh, fun moving around those big giant magnetic balls and um and the, how like it, you might you might have remembered something kind of off screen so you just kind of point your glove in that direction and it shoots you across to the magnet so stuff stuff like that i thought was kind of fun the, yeah, but the boss, clever the boss the boss that you needed to fight with that thing though was like one of the worst for me the, the, the boss i think in that dungeon oh. where you you have to pull the spiked ball into it or but push not it into, into it. yourself yeah. exactly yeah. oh man yeah. yeah i mean it's a cool idea but for me it, it was uh harrowing I guess. <laughs> See, I'm just looking this up now, and it looks like there are uh, magnetic gloves in four swords as well. Uh, okay. Okay. Hmm. Was that another Capcom one, or is that first party Nintendo again? Well, it's flagship, so sort of, but they okay. did it under the they did it under the auspices of Nintendo. Um, I but see. I think Four so Swords Adventures was a, was it? Yeah, it was a different team. Um, and then obviously in the uh, in the in the other game <laughs> in ages. Um, what is it you've got glove-wise in that? You've got you start off with the normal lifting bracelet, but then you get a level two glove. Oh no, it's just another. It's a lifter heavier thing. Yeah, it's glove, just, isn't it's it? just a, a yeah a better bracelet essentially. Yeah, but yeah, I feel like again, you know, they they obviously they were allowed, you know, this team to 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 not play everything completely safe and traditional. Mm-hmm. They were allowed to bring in some some elements of their own, mm-hmm. but then I think it's whether thinking about those bosses and and the design of having to tackle those i think some people who don't always enjoy the fact that zelda bosses feel like they've become formulaic in the sense that you use the item that you've got in the dungeon to kill the boss this game actually doesn't really do that in the same way Mm -hmm. it does it it does it in bits but then sometimes Sometimes, it might but then it might um, be items that you'd forgotten you had, or it might be that you use the item you got in the last dungeon in the next dungeon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose it's debatable, you know, it's down to personal taste whether you think that's more interesting or more annoying because it means that normally your first attempt against uh, get, uh, against any particular boss or mine, or at least the first few uh, <laughs> minutes of running around, would be working out how to hurt it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the, the idea of... of occasionally not having to use the thing that you got in the dungeon but for for me i struggled with almost all of the bosses and maybe that's really? just my yeah maybe that's just my mm. um you know my uh, my ability <laughs> ineptitude or, or whatever yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah but man can we talk for a minute about yeah. the four-faced uh boss oh, i think God. it's the second yes. 
I know Dude, exactly what you're the, talking about. With the ro rotating platforms going around its head, and you have to get the bomb in the red one. Like, um, I got it. Yeah. I understood what I was supposed to be doing. But yeah, exactly, yeah. But the, the way... I didn't yeah, the, the way the mechanics just are, the way the way the jumping is, the way the timing is on that bomb, like it was just, I think a little bit. That one was a little bit unfair. I felt like I needed, I definitely saved scum that part. I, I'm not too proud to to admit, mm -hmm. like I, there's no way I could get that boss. Like just, it drove, drove me insane. But um, right yeah, but you. that was the, uh, that was the most difficult or the most difficulty I had with any of the bosses. But generally speaking, I, I struggled with a lot of them and. I don't know. It's it it really uh kind of hurt my experience. I also didn't care for the Ramrock boss, if that's his name. It's a kind of a stone-faced fellow that changes his hands mm. out for other dangerous weapons. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you have to do a lot of kind mm. of like deflecting stuff with your sword, mm. and it was just a. Uh, I had a pretty dreadful time with that one. Most of the issue I had, I think, was that for for ages in particular, for a game that was so centered on having everything be a puzzle. It was still a puzzle, but then the issue was once you figured out that puzzle, it was mm -hmm. still frequently really difficult to execute on yeah. that puzzle. Like I, I mm. thought that maybe it should have been a little bit more rewarding to have just figured out what it was that you needed to mm. do since the game was set up that way to begin with. Mm. Yeah, I, th yeah. I thought it was a mixed bag in that regard in that I, I would say overall, uh, I would certainly agree with the, the one you just mentioned, but overall I, I did feel like the boss, bosses in Ages were more puzzly and that the execution, if anything, was more challenging in Seasons. Um, but the, the thing that really throws a spanner in, in, in that is that if you play Ages second, you've come off all these you know, supposedly puzzly bosses, and then you have to do the final, final boss. And, oh, um, yeah. and, and uh, yeah, I didn't have any fun with that at all. I was so glad... Um, for save scumming um in this mm -hmm. instance um and it made it a completely different experience but what i would say is that um you know i've I've, I've watched it done on on youtube um mm -hmm. obviously with no damage taken and it's entirely possible yeah. to do it's not sure. like again it's always worth saying um you shouldn't call a game unfair if it's possible to do it without taking damage um it's sure. not like it's not like yeah. um you know some games certainly throughout you know, in, in the older days, it was very common to have things that you literally couldn't avoid being hurt mm -hmm. by. These are not those. You can you can learn yeah. the patterns. You can get the sequence of actions right. But what I would say is that, you know, by, by the time I got to this final, final boss, which is a multiple stage uh, fight with first Twin Rover and then Ganon, and it's got a bit that reverses your controls, which is uh, a gameplay sin as far as I'm mm -hmm. concerned. Um, I never think that's a good idea. Especially at the uh, very end. Like... What yeah. are you doing? Yeah. Um, but I got there, and this is one thing, another thing I wanted to talk about, the design of the Oracle games compared to other Zeldas. Whereas whereas I got to um, the late stages of most other Zeldas without having maxed out my heart meter. In mm. both of these, I was nearly at the end of the heart meter. Mm. Um, and in fact, in uh, in ages, I had got all of the heart pieces um, without really trying. So they'd kind of fallen in my lap, whereas in both previous Zeldas to this and more recent ones, uh, I've found that 
actually the the sort of the end game for me will be going around the map if I want to if I feel that mm-hmm. if I have the urge going going around hoovering up the remaining heart pieces but in this I was at the final final boss the final boss of the of the two game experience not just the final boss of of ages with maximum hearts and the the ring that that you wear to give you half damage mm-hmm. and it still gave me a very hard time. Now I didn't have a potion. Potions in this are handled very differently in that you yeah. can you can get them uh at various points for doing certain things or they're hidden in secret. I can't actually remember, but you can't just go to a shop and buy a potion, can right. you? And these these are these games don't have the bottles either. Um so this is the first game since uh probably Link's Awakening, is it, that didn't have bottles? But Link to the Past did, and Ocarina and Majora's Mask had bottles, but this doesn't have that. It doesn't have a, a potion shop in the same way, as far as I found, anyway. Um, if you had one, it would give you an extra life, effectively. But I was here, as I say, maximum hearts, double double damage, or half damage. Um, but if I hadn't used the save scumming, because I got to the final boss with more than half my hearts, if you do a continue, you start at the start of the maze, which is not difficult. There's no real challenge to it other right. than it's time consuming with half energy. Exactly. And <laughs> there's nowhere to get more energy. There's no there's no fairies in jars. There's no small enemies to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you're kind of... Um, you're kind of in trouble uh, unless you really know what to do. And the thing about the the final form of this final boss is that not only is there the bit where it reverses your controls, but there's two other forms. Um, actually, I'm thinking of uh, I'm thinking of the second form of Twin Rover here. So this is yeah. How many stages has this boss got? I've forgotten three, maybe oh, three. I think it's three. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the the bit that I thought was the final bit. Um, you keep getting switched between an ice room and a fire room, and it's mm. uh, in the ice room has got the the full you know slippery slidey momentum thing going on, and it's chucking blocks of ice at you. Um, then it switches to the fire room, and when you hit this enemy, you get automatically get knocked backwards, often into a pool of lava, mm-hmm. losing health. <laughs> uh, then yeah, then after that, you think you get a very small window of opportunity to fire a, a seed at it. Um, which is the only way you can damage it. And then when you kill it and you think, I've done that, that's when Ganon turns up. And there's no opportunity to get more health. There's exactly, no opportunity yeah. to fill up on health or anything like that. So yeah. it's, a, it's a real toughie. I thought it was a real toughie. And I ended up with literally a quarter of a heart and saving between every hit uh, yeah. that I could do. So it's very, very, you know, kind of a crappy way to end the game, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt, you know, I felt cheap and nasty for doing it. Um, and I'm not saying that I, you know, I couldn't, couldn't have done it with time and persistence with half hearts and continuing, but I would have been very, very upset by the end. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I was quite upset anyway. Um, my girlfriend said, have you finished that game now? (laughs) I was like, yeah, I just did it. She was like, good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The the double bosses are, are, um, if that's the right term form i don't know boss right after a boss is is a a, uh, gameplay thing that i'm glad has seemed to have disappeared over time there's very much like there's a whole bunch of them back around this time oh yeah um but yeah yeah, i'm very glad that that's uh, gone away because it's something that i i i cannot absolutely can't stand so yeah we've mentioned them in passing there but we should talk about the rings because this is uh unique i think so far anyway in in the zelda canon yeah i can't think of anything else that did this 
So there's a, a fairly large number of collectible rings that you can wear um, mm. and you can find them in a number of ways. Sometimes they're gifted to you, sometimes they're grown on the trees that you plant mm -hmm. in one season or one age and collect in another. Um, but that's where the random number generation comes in, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, now, thing is, you have a ring box which starts off as a, as a one ring box. Um, and you can only change the rings that are in your ring box by going to the ring shop. Uh, and you can only equip one ring at a time regardless. Yeah. Is that that you can never equip more than one ring, can you? Even if you've got three in your box, right? Yeah. Right. So you can collect a grand total of like four screens worth of rings. I don't know, is it like 20 rings or something like that? 30 something rings? Like that, yeah. It's a lot. So they'll do stuff like, as I say, double, you know, half damage, or you can have double damage to both you and your enemies. Um, there's things which avoid you getting hurt by certain types of thing, whether it's fire or electricity right. or, or rocks. Rocks, yeah. Uh, um, and various other ones. But, yeah, I found the, the uh, cool cool idea. I like, to go, I like finding a new ring, going to the shop, getting it appraised for my 20 rupees, <laughs> selling duplicates. Mm -hmm. All that was fun. But I actually ended up, even though I, I got the three ring box in both games, I don't even know if you could expand it further, um, but I only ever ended up using one ring <laughs> at a time. Yeah, me too. And generally yeah. it, was, it was the one that would keep me alive the longest. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyone else do more with this or have more fun with this? I like the idea a lot. I think the idea of kind of passive bonuses and customizing mm -hmm. yeah. your build a yeah. little bit more. It's really cool. It's RPG kind of like stuff. A, yeah. It's kind of like yeah. Dark Soulsy in a way. Exactly. You know, through ring slots and all. Um, my, my favorite one was the one where you could just dress up as a subrosion. Because <laughs> I, I always love when, uh, when they yeah. allow you to switch out your character model for something else. I never got to. I never got around to trying those. You can turn into a, a Zora or a Subrosian or or whatever like, else. Does like, it affect yeah. anything? Not really. <laughs> like, I, I don't even think you can attack. I don't think they have like a sword animation no. for those. You just kind of walk around, but kind of. That's fun. what I figured. Speaking okay. of the Zoras, is it just me or do they kind of look like clansmen in this game? <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah. Um, not sure it was intentional, but <laughs> <laughs> weirdly, they live on the extreme Hopefully left of the map. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, fishy clansmen. Um, but just think how less empowered clansmen would look if they had fishy hats instead of those <laughs> scary white And hats. only lived underwater. <laughs> and still couldn't breathe underwater. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be ideal. Yeah. Um, right. Oh, uh, yeah, that was something I. <laughs> That was, um, yeah, something else I wanted to say. Uh, one of the things I did like about this, um, I, I liked some of the, uh, I've, I've seen a couple of uh, comments uh, both in our, among our community and elsewhere. They said they didn't feel that the music was up to snuff compared to Koji Kondo's music. Mm. Um, for me, it was, it, was, it was a mixed bag. Like some of the new tunes I didn't think were that uh, memorable. Some of them were yeah. nice, I thought. Um, but the thing I really enjoyed was I thought the um, the new chiptune version of the Overworld theme in mm -hmm. Ages was really nice. Yeah. And hearing chiptune versions of the Song of Storms, the Windmill Song and mm -hmm. the Goron village theme was mm -hmm. really, really nice. So those yeah. are now, you know, the 8-bit chiptune versions. They are literally 8-bit chiptune versions of mm -hmm. Ocarina of Time themes. So, so I enjoyed that. And, um, yeah, and again, overall, I felt the soundscape was... It, it felt slightly different. It, you know, you could tell that it wasn't Koji Kondo. 
you know, I think if I, I, well, I can't say for sure, but I feel like if I played this and never seen the title screen or the credits, I would have thought this probably isn't made by the main guys at Zelda, um, at Nintendo, but mm-hmm. I don't know. How, how did you chaps feel about the uh, sound? I think there's a couple of at least really stunning songs in there. Like um, uh, we have then an upcoming uh, all Zelda sound of play that we uh, yes. we just recorded before, uh, like a week before we're recording this, um, you know, quite a bit in advance. But yeah, we, we picked out a couple of songs from one from Oracle of Ages and one from Oracle of Seasons. And I do like that it does have a different sound. Um, kind of my favorite thing about these games is that they are, you know, by different personnel and you know they have kind of a different thumbprint on them um and so i do like that there's a little bit more variety but i think that the uh the real standout for me is neru's song from oracle of ages it's mm. uh um if you know I'll, I'll send it along with uh with the edit so that jay can put it right at the beginning of the um of the podcast but it's a really lovely uh, really kind of haunting song so um yeah that's a that's the real standout for me but there's a couple other fun ones like the dancing dragon dungeon is a real groovy mm. tune mm. and some nice yeah. ones yeah i really enjoyed the uh the soundtrack i i didn't i i don't think that it's as strong as many of the other uh zelda soundtracks um mm-hmm. but i I, I didn't feel that it was just kind of throwaway music, which it, it could have been. I mean, handhelds don't always have the best soundtracks, although thankfully that is not always the case. But I I, uh, I really enjoyed it. I um, I didn't listen to it all the time because it, it would get repetitive occasionally. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Um, uh, you know, as as happens. But um, what I did hear um, at least the first couple of times through, I I thought was uh, was nice and it fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and for me, it was it was a solid soundtrack, and there was at least no um, offensive tracks, like how in Link's Awakening there was that Acorn song, yeah. I remember? <laughs> that just drove yeah. me insane. There was nothing like that, at least. But like, yeah, we should think. actually say that um, you know we talked about the development of Link's Awakening and how interesting mm-hmm. it was, how it was this sort of secret sub project mm-hmm. by Takashi yeah. Tezuka and his team, whereas this was obviously you know fully sanctioned mm-hmm. uh, and given you know by by flagship um but there were the uh the uh text you can choose a, the text speed and <laughs> it's all fairly yeah. quickly skippable and there's no bits where you collect an item and it tells you a million what times <laughs> what it does <laughs> so so that is appreciated anyway but yeah i should also say that um the sound effects are mm-hmm. uh, pretty much identical to Link's Awakening, yeah, I think. 100%. Throughout, there's probably there's probably more. I think it's probably a larger cartridge. Um, mm. You know, the fact that it's in color, there's more of it, and mm-hmm. whatever else. Um, yeah, one thing. I, uh, one thing I also wanted to say was um, so this game has uh, owl statues, uh, and they serve mm-hmm. a different purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this was now post uh Kapura Gabora in Ocarina of Time and uh his equivalent in Majora's Mask. Um but what this allowed for, you you have to give the statue a mystery seed. But for instance, whereas in the very earliest uh, Zelda games, um you were expected to at some point work out that a wall in a room sounded different if you hit it with your sword, uh now, even though you've done it done this in the past possibly, uh as long as you fed a mystery seed to an owl, it would actually say, try listening to the wall when you hit it with your sword. So stuff mm-hmm. like that. Again, it's an interesting 
uh, sort of step in terms of this is how you know games design has yeah. gone. Yeah. Uh, and again, I know that you know the general consensus, which is something we try to avoid, is uh-huh. that um, you know uh, that would be it would be quotes better game design to actually tell the player uh you know what they need to do but then i know that there are some people who are really into just you know puzzling everything out and trying everything Mm -hmm. for themselves so so this would you know this would effectively mechanic and uh, you you could choose not to engage with it so it's it's it i I guess you could even say it's an early example of the thing nintendo started to do in the mid-2000s with the um uh, you know, with the special blocks in the Mario games and the and mm-hmm. the the Luigi helper and the and the and the showing you what you could do next type of mechanics that they've mm-hmm. that they've picked up and run with sort of post uh, around Wii times and and beyond that. Um, but it's you know, having said that, these owl statues are few and far between. Really, there's normally like maybe one or two in each dungeon, and there's plenty of puzzle rooms that I had to get my thinking cap on four that didn't have an owl saying you should try this um a lot more times the puzzles are, are, are hinted to you in the same way as like you said before which is you'll just be able to see something off the screen or there'll be something in the design of the of the room which gives you a clue um things like a you know you get cracked bomber balls in this game but there are a couple which i think are more optional ones where there'll just yeah. be a, a pattern on the floor which suggests that something ought to be there <laughs> a and, giant arrow yeah yeah sometimes a big giant arrow well it's, uh, yeah, but not all time. sometimes sometimes there is there is literally a big giant arrow in yeah. one room um <laughs> but there's another place where like for instance there's a you know just like a couple of there'll be like a couple of vases next to a gap in the you know just next to nothing mm-hmm. And it will be a, a bomb the door. And, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about those because when you find them, it feels wonderful and magical and like you've been really clever. Yeah. But if you don't find them, it's it's like, well, how the hell was I supposed to know that was? That? So, <laughs> right. I want my cake and eating it. Uh, how do you guys feel about those sort of more oblique puzzles that Zelda throws your way? Um, is it something that because i i feel like we all come from a similar place now we're all you know i'm i know i'm the the oldest but we're all of adult age and mm. we all have the same pressures on time yeah, and that sort of yeah. thing um but does anyone really miss the sort of uh the times of just feeling like you you could puzzle it all out yourself i'm not sure that i ever necessarily felt like that completely right. so uh yeah no i i don't i i have I don't think ever really had a problem with going to a walkthrough or going to mm-hmm. uh, some kind of fact to mm-hmm. if I'm having an issue or if I want if I just want to find everything and don't yeah. necessarily have the time you know working a full time job and, and you know having yeah. uh, some semblance of a life maybe um, to to go and find everything but maybe I want to see it anyway so it I, the way that I guess I've I've come to think of it is you know you're you have purchased this game and you are spending your time on it. So mm-hmm. spend your time how you want to spend your time. And in this yeah. case, I I maybe am not as big a fan of it if it is something that is required to progress, if they place it in some completely oblique place. But if it's if it's something optional, well, then it's optional. And if you want to go in and you want to spend the time tapping on every single wall and, and pulling up every single rock to see what's underneath it, then great, you can still do that. And if you don't want to, then there's plenty of other options for you. So would you consider it personally uh, sort of better games design or preferable to you in terms of design to 
have to not have those sort of more obscure things in so that you could see everything by you know being given hints or or you know kind of breadcrumbed towards things or do you you know do you like the fact that those things are in there um to engage you know to to engage with or not as you see fit personally i don't think i mind really it's because there there are the options that i have of using a walkthrough or or what what have you um and and that does leave it open for the people who do enjoy a, a little bit more of a challenge and do enjoy being able to spend that time just very meticulously going over every square. Um, I, I don't think that there's a wrong way to do it necessarily. For me, I, I, if I'm, I, I'm not likely to spend all of the extra time to, to find some of these things, but if it's there and I know it's there and I, I am not getting there in, uh, in what I feel is an appropriate time, then and there's there's other things that I can do to still see that if I want to. So I guess sure. I guess that's a long way of saying uh, I don't necessarily think that it should be easier, but um, I uh, I still kind of want to see things my own way. It might fit mm. for me, but it's not going to fit for everybody, mm. and that's fine. Yeah, Ryan, sure. Yeah. I think I appreciate that things have gotten a little less obtuse over time. Like I kind of feel um, similarly to Leah in that like I don't. I don't need to see everything in most games, um, but if I want to, I feel like it shouldn't be like insanely obscure to the point where you are having to hit every wall. See, I don't know, because I know people really enjoy that kind of thing, but I guess for me, that's not the kind of thing I'd like to do. Um, hmm. But then I look at something like, I'm a huge fan of all of the Souls games, and those are as oblique as you can get these days you know it's they're very well, they are but in a different way i suppose they're like totally yeah but that's what i mean i wonder if that's kind of more my style at this mm. time of my life you know where i just don't have all the time so i wonder if there's some kind of like middle ground that that uh maybe i would appreciate more than what was in these kind of games I don't I mean, know. even in it's, the most oblique of the souls puzzles like there are visual indicators like you know you can if you position yourself correctly, then you can spy the hidden bonfire sure. in the um, mm-hmm. in the, the forest in the beginning of Dark Souls, or you know, there's mm-hmm. uh, and then that game is built around community involvement. Like that is is programmed sure, into yeah. the game so that people can leave each yeah. other hints, which I think is you know a lot of these real oblique puzzles benefit from having a community yeah. of sorts. And so, saying that you're solving it by yourself might, I mean, it might be yeah. entirely true for a lot of people, but it might. Mm-hmm. You know, that might not be the way that these were even intended to be approached. Yeah. Um, but I think the idea that there is something out there that, you know, I might never find does kind of, you know, makes the world feel a little bit more magical. Like it it feels like mm-hmm. there's something that uh, it, it's an air of unpredictability that you might not get in a Skyward Sword or something like that, where everything is, you know, out there for you to find um yeah the fact that we are still kind of stumbling upon hidden rooms and old nes games that programmers just put in there as jokes and stuff like that like that, that that's kind of cool but yeah um yeah. yeah i i don't know i'm not really sold in either direction yeah i suppose it this is bringing back to thinking about um actually how uh I guess what's changed is i mean this was 2001 this came out and um yeah. you know i'm not i'm not trying to convince people that this is you know this really really obscure game with loads of things that you'll never find or never see um but i certainly to complete it within the time frame you know i certainly needed 
walkthroughs to help me speed up certain puzzles and things mm-hmm. like that. And there are certain things that I would have, I probably would have missed completely. But it brings me back to thinking about how you know back in the eighties and nineties, maybe more so than than at this point, was actually you know the community surrounding a game was you know waiting for the you know somebody else in your school or whatever to uh, or workplace to uh find something out that could tell you or you know or the next month's issue of whatever magazine which ha- had a certain uh, and i guess at this point we were still at this uh sort of crossover point but there are certainly i would say there's more to solving the puzzles in these games than you know getting through these games in terms of challenge you know thinking about um having played a link between worlds much more recently um i don't remember i don't remember being stuck at any point in a link between worlds um you know there were there were puzzles which i found enjoyable and they were and they were puzzles um, but it always felt like the game just wanted me to carry on through and looking at my 3DS like time time it took me to beat things. A Link Between Worlds is now uh, less than both of the Oracle's games um, <laughs> mm. because because of that, I think, mainly. Uh, and maybe the, the actual challenge of beating bosses as well. Fair enough. So uh, there were, I don't know if you've got any more for your corner, Ryan, um, but I do know that um, there were some uh, books specifically released, I think in America, probably, I don't know if they came out over here, but these were, um, you know, Final Fantasy style, Games Workshop style, you decide on the adventure books (laughs) um, based on the Oracle's games. Uh, I'm guessing you didn't have any of these, anyone? No. No. No, uh, but in Japan there was a manga as well, an Oracle of Zelda Oracle's manga. Um, was there anything else at this point, Ryan, that uh, needs to be added in for completeness' sake? For Not that I was Zelda? able to dig up for this specific episode. No. Okay, uh, we'll see what happens in another month uh, when we when we do uh, Wind Waker. So let's hear because uh, this I think this opens up another little uh, conversation about the design of the game. Uh, and this is from the community, from the forum, canandrince.com slash forum. As we've said before, uh, we have a thread for every single podcast that's coming up, and we sticky the ones for the next few that are coming up, um, and you can join in and contribute to the show. Uh, please do. You can also email podcast at canandrince.com. And this is from Andrew Brown, who uh, is, yes, most certainly the most critical of uh, of our correspondence and says the oracle games are easily the zelda titles i am the least familiar with so i was quite looking forward to revisiting them as i play along with the podcast i was disappointed to be reminded that ignorance is bliss i don't want to say that it's all capcom's fault but it's all capcom's fault they are the new spice in this familiar recipe a flavor that is present in only a few zelda titles and they make the whole meal difficult to enjoy I don't think I'm being unfair to Capcom. Their design influence, especially from this era in its career, is all through both Oracle titles. For starters, the scenario structure is plagiarised wholesale from Resident Evil 2. Story A1 is continued in Story B1, then can be replayed in Story B2 and continued in Story A2 to see an alternate take on the plot. This would be an interesting spin on the franchise formula, if not for how the minutiae is handled. Both games have an obsession with double unlocks and RNG. 
It's no longer simply enough that you solve a puzzle, win a minigame, or find a hidden chest to get your piece of heart or other trinket as a reward. Now, instead, you get a gasher nut, which must be planted in an arbitrary place on the world, and then you have to wait for the tree to grow, and then your actual reward is based on a random number generator. Finding all of the rings and even getting all of the heart containers is no longer a matter of being thorough, it is a matter of grinding long enough, and being lucky enough to get them. This even carries over into the linked games. You'd think it would be enough work that you beat an entire game, carry that game over into another game, find an NPC in that game who gives you a code to take back to the first game, then you find that NPC and get your reward. Then use another code to get that reward again in the linked game. So that explains the whole, that's what that's all about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Note that NPC often wants some other arbitrary goal to be completed as well. Sometimes this is a mini game and that's not so bad. At other times you need to do some needless busy work like max out all of your seeds or farm exactly 777 ore. Uh, Yes, interjection from me. You can... The, the, the Subrosian land has a different currency that's based on ore. Oh, right. uh, so instead of rupees, it's down there, it's, it's ore uh, that you can spend in the shop. That's only in seasons. Back to Andrew's post. This takes an already tedious but, poss- but possibly rewarding process and makes it even more tedious and correspondingly less rewarding. As another general criticism, I wasn't a fan of the increased room sizes for dungeons and caves. Link's Awakening putting each room in onto exactly one screen gave every area a predictable grid shape, but increasing the sizes of these rooms did nothing to solve this problem and led to lazier level design. Rooms in most dungeons often don't have enough things in them to justify their size. Many of them are just entirely barren, seeming to be bigger just to pad out a game already padded by double unlocks and RNG. Worse are the bosses, who are often off-screen and repeatedly get cheap shots on the player because they can't be seen. I definitely made a mistake choosing to play through Oracle of Seasons first. After Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, I wanted a break from time travel. While the overworld is interesting owing to the Rod of Seasons, its effects are not felt in the dungeons, which are instead deliberately geared towards combat and platforming puzzles, which are far from the Link's Awakening engine's forte. Being able to carry over my rings and powered-up items in a linked game world would have made Seasons a much more enjoyable experience. Oracle of Ages, on the other hand, was far more enjoyable to play at first. The dungeons are much more puzzle-oriented and feel much more at home in a Zelda title as as a result. The overworld, on the other hand, is much less of a joy to explore, devolving into tedious and trite dimension-switching puzzles as you unlock more and more songs for the harp, and the extended item-trading-slash-minigame sequences on Tokay Island and Rolling Ridge were simply miserable. I can play rock band Pro Drums on Expert and still struggle with that damn Goron dancing minigame. I feel sorry for the rhythm challenged. My venture into the Heroes Cave was the nadir of my Oracle experience. The solution to the colour-switching Tyrum is simply a cheat played on the player. Up until these past two weeks with the Oracle games, I used to describe the Minish Cap as my least favourite Zelda title. Minish Cap may now consider that title challenged. The linked game concept is interesting, but its payoff is poorly implemented and anticlimactic. Other than this... They're merely mediocre Zelda titles weighed down by double unlocking and RNG bullcrap that feel not only alien but antithetical to the Zelda experience. As much as it pains me to say so, these are the only Zelda games I've never completed 100% and I'm happy for them to remain so. I mean, you know, great analysis and very specific, but uh, my initial response uh, was uh, verbalised by this subsequent post uh, this only really relates to the RNG stuff and the 100% completion stuff, not 
certain other criticisms but uh, Gaio Pinto posted after this I love reading how other people react to games especially when they're so specific about what they did or didn't like why they did it or didn't like something I didn't mind the gasher seeds or the random number generator stuff but I can imagine how trying to 100% this game would be awful as someone who was just trying to beat it, I kind of enjoyed stumbling on a gasha tree that I'd planted and then forgotten about that, or the fact that by the time I completed both games, I had less than half of the overall rings. But knowing that you like to get and do everything, it's hard to imagine a more frustrating mechanic than linking the two games and then both games requiring such grinding and luck to get everything. So yeah, I completely uh, yeah. go along with what Gaio says there because yeah, I didn't care about 100%ing it at all. And as mm-hmm. it turns out... I got the vast majority of the hearts in both games, or got them all in ages. Um, but the idea of collecting all the rings never even crossed my mind. So mm-hmm. while while some of Andrew's other criticisms uh, sort of do ring true to an extent, um, the whole RNG stuff making his life a misery was simply not applicable to my experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm guessing n- none of you three, uh, you know, again given given time and the way that we've talked about playing things nobody went for the for the full 100% did, no. did they no 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 it would uh, yeah it would it sounds like it would open up a world of uh, a world of pain a can of <laughs> a can of hurt worms <laughs> <laughs> ryan do you want to read scott's sure this is scott leland via email who said that if there is one thing in particular that the oracle games did right it's that they expanded upon the game mechanics that worked well in links awakening these two games felt like worthy successors and almost felt as if they were an expansion of sorts. I've still never completed the Oracle of Seasons, so I can't speak from as much experience with that game, but I have beaten Oracle of Ages numerous times. What I enjoyed was that each game had its own identity. Oracle of Ages already seemed to me to be the more puzzle-centric game, and some puzzles, even after many replays, can still leave me scratching my head. Both games were significantly darker in story than some past entries, and arguably harder as well. The area these games excel the most is their dungeon and world design. Both games have the same number of dungeons and similar sized worlds as Link's Awakening does, but seem to offer a greater challenge and variety. In short, the worlds simply felt bigger just from the variety alone. I have still never linked the games for the extra content, although I would like to someday. Regardless, both games delivered for me in the same way that Link's Awakening did long before and made me feel right at home the second I stepped into their exciting worlds. Thanks for that email, Scott. So yes, we do get emails. We got two for the Oracle's games. Colin Miller via email. I don't think this is the Colin Miller I know because he introduces himself as if we've never met. Uh, In fact, I know two Colin Millers. Anyway, that's not interesting. This Colin Miller says, in my youth, road trips for soccer tournaments and swim meets were a regular annoyance. Handhelds often saved me from hours of boredom, and the Oracle games were no exception. However, the subconscious knowledge that I wasn't playing Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask stuck with me through each experience. Nintendo gamers sometimes divide between 2D and 3D Zelda camps. That's probably true. I personally feel that this this battle stems from differing views about what constitutes a classic or proper in inverted commas, Zelda game. Overwhelmingly, players of the former prefer titles such as Minish Cap or Spirit Tracks, while players of the latter go to bat for the likes of Twilight Princess or Wind Waker. 
While I feel that the franchise offers unforgettable adventure on both fronts, I usually prefer the 3D Zeldas. Their locations, characters and dungeons feel comprised of a, of a believable fantasy setting, something out of a Tolkien epic, while top-down Zeldas can feel like little more than a series of well-designed maps. When what you're looking for is escapism, there is no substitute. But in truth, the best Zelda games are as memorable as they are, not because of their graphics, but because of their flawless world-building. As I mentioned earlier, with Seasons and Ages, I felt the limitations and was aware of its seams. When they re-released A Link to the Past for the Game Boy Advance down the road, I did not have this reaction. While both are top-down 2D Zeldas, A Link to the Past is endlessly immersive and rewarding, while Ages and Seasons scratch the surface by comparison. It feels like I'm ragging on these games, but there is plenty I liked within each title. Many of the characters throughout were entertaining and original. Maple the Witch, in particular, was sassy and comical. I had a blast scrambling to collect all the goodies she drops when you bump into her magical flying vacuum. Kudos to an NPC who finally lets a hero have it after taking stuff which isn't theirs. It was Veran, Sorceress of Shadows, who, of the key players, most intrigued me. While Onox was little more than a glorified iron knuckle, Veran was calculating and seductive, convincing more naive characters to do her bidding like some scheming witch out of the Disney canon. Ages, I had, more, uh, had a more engaging story than Seasons, which might be why I slightly prefer it. The whole thing was very Carmen Sandiego. Veran would screw up things in the past, making it the player's job to follow her through time in order to sort out whatever she did to muck things up. Knowing that whatever happened back then would affect the future also gave the game a refreshing sense of stakes, especially for a Game Boy Color cartridge. Mechanically, each game does a great job of introducing season shifts and time travel, respectively, swinging your staff to alter the weather around you or playing your harp to find areas only accessible during certain time periods made for interesting overworld exploration. There's nothing wrong with the gameplay, it all works. It's just that similar devices have worked in other Zelda titles as well, so there's quite a lot of competition. It's all still Zelda. Thank you for that, Colin. Uh, so back to Gaio Pinto. This was uh, Gaio's own post on the Oracle's experience. To be honest, I wasn't, uh, wasn't sure what to expect when I decided to play Oracle of Ages and Seasons along with the podcast. See, people really are doing it. I had completed these two games in high school, and while I remember enjoying them quite a bit, there wasn't anything specific that had stuck with me. So I bought both of them on my 3DS to try to shake off the fog and to see what these games were about. I played Oracle of Ages first, and while I thought it was okay, I was overall a bit disappointed. It's a totally competent 2D Zelda, but it felt overly long. Navigation on the world map is a bunch of time manipulation puzzles, and while they are fun and clever the first time through, they make backtracking for rings and heart pieces a real pain. I beat the game and decided I didn't have it in me to play Oracle of Seasons right away, so I put it down for about a month. But oh man! The magic took hold when I started Oracle of Seasons. The entire conceit of these games is their connectivity, but you don't fully start experiencing that until the second game. When you boot up the game and Twin Rover is there cackling, it immediately raises the stakes. Bringing your ring collection over is cool, but the real joy is when suddenly characters from the first game start visiting. Or when you have to go back to ages to tell a character a secret and then return to Seasons with more bombs or a new sword. It was like a Telltale or Mass Effect game, but 10 years earlier. I was shocked that in 2016 this primitive-seeming password system was still so cool. It genuinely felt like magic to me. In summary, I think the games by themselves are decent top-down Zelda games that can't compete with A Link to the Past or A Link Between Worlds. But the linking system is just awesome and it really elevates the games. I'm still surprised by how much I like them. Nice. Glad somebody 
had pleasure from playing along with the show, <laughs> unlike poor old Andrew. Anyway, uh, Andrew is back with us as we commence our three-word reviews. Follow us on Twitter, at Kana Rince. Please do. Leah, can you start us off? Sure. So Andrew Brown says, stop that mugger. I assume that's just a reference to being having to play the game i don't know <laughs> well, i think you, you do or, get mugged in both of the yeah. games in very kind of similar yeah. uh you, you oh, lose all your items the in the yeah, salamander island and oh and that too uh, yeah. Ma- yeah syrup maple and syrup sections yeah yeah, but well, there, yeah. Are, there are sections where you have all your items stripped from you in a metroid style mm-hmm. i think ma- maybe andrew's going for a double meaning there um <laughs> with with the bit from the game and the uh, uh and and the fact that he felt <laughs> cheated by the game but yes no i'd forgotten about maple or syrups uh appearances yeah because that, that actually there's a there's a bit of rng in that because one of the heart pieces is uh you have to get it from one of those encounters mm-hmm. um yeah normally she knocks all your stuff and sometimes she gets away with more of it than mm-hmm. you do um but yeah at one point you hit her and you get a heart piece uh, but yeah i managed to get that one Anyway, we digress. Uh, a new three-word reviewer, Got That Not, says, Goron Dance, impossible. I'm going to interrupt again here. Uh, so, yeah, so this, we've had a couple of mentions of this. That This is a, uh, yeah, a mini, mini game, a rhythm mini game that is required to progress uh, Oracle of Ages. Um, there's also a little dancing section in Seasons, yeah. which mm-hmm. is controlled slightly differently. Um and is that the one that is that the one you get the boomerang? You get the, the boomerang. boomerang yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's not mandatory, but the Goron dance is mandatory. Um, now I I failed it once and then passed it, mm-hmm. so I'm a bit confused. It's only two buttons, but it, it, it <laughs> uh, the, the the initial fail I did think oh that seems a bit harsh. So yeah. but beyond that I, I didn't have any problems with it. But clearly some people are. Well, how about you yeah. guys? I passed it first time both times. Um, nice. So I I don't know. <laughs> Breathes on fingernails, wipes on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No big deal. Uh, I just, you know, I'm good. Yeah, just got, I think it is just got rid of seasons, but yeah, I think so it's too. it's pretty yeah. picky about the timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. I didn't have too much trouble with them, but I would agree that seasons dance was uh, probably a lot easier actually. But not there's too much uh, there's no way that our editor Jay would have ever got past it. Uh, I, mm. uh, he'll he'll hate me for bringing that up, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he'll probably just edit it out. Right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Spencer uh, Saunders says, "Confused young me." Gene says, "Odd bootleg Zeldas." No more Spiros says, "Magnetic gloves, ingenious." <laughs> Scott Leland says, "Ringbox hype." Gaio Pinto, the gimmick works. Luke Summerhays, both worthy Zeldas. And Morris Long says, secretly fantastic games. Is it a secret? I don't know. It's a secret <laughs> to everyone. Uh, that's true. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, I liked, uh, I liked Gein's choice of the word bootleg there. I thought that, <laughs> that sort of... Anyway, we'll summarize. And uh, yeah. yeah, so bearing in mind that these games uh, are... I mean, I don't know. Do, do 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 we do we factor into price and availability? Anyway, these games are available for a few quid on yeah. a, a widely available handheld system. Yeah. That might come into play. It's not like you have to go and buy a retro system and cartridges mm-hmm. to play them. Mm-hmm. Bearing that in mind, 
would you would you recommend these one or both either neither sean um sure i guess <laughs> I, I didn't i didn't um i didn't hate my time with either game and i didn't particularly love it either it's uh you know when, when we finished um link's awakening uh back however long ago that was now like the second mm. i finished it i started up mm. another playthrough immediately i had yes. such a good time with it and yeah. um I, with these ones i don't know if i'll ever play them again like they were they were totally inoffensive and i appreciate the ambition in in the in the whole linking aspect especially back in that time like that that must have been a huge uh ordeal back then and also like the amount of pressure that i imagine flagship was under being the first non-nintendo team to have to do this kind of thing like i'm sure they got a lot of input from nintendo and and, yeah. and all but i'm sure that was still like you're the ones now making Zelda. Like, how insane would that feel? And um, that's that's all cool. And 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 for what they did, I don't I don't really hate anything that they did. But I didn't really love any of the changes that they made or any of the particulars of either game. So, um, but you know, like you said, they're super cheap right now, or I guess forever on uh, 3ds, or as long as the eShop's up there. And um, you know, for the price, it's not that bad. You could you could spend it on worse. Um, but if you're looking for a handheld Zelda, I would still go back to Link's Awakening before either of these games. Yeah, I suppose I'd say I'd say that um, this is quite an undertaking to play both. It's one of those mm -hmm. things where personally I wouldn't be happy um, if I'd only played one of them. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'd said like if I if someone said you know one play one which one I'm not actually sure because I think the puzzles mm -hmm. are more interesting in ages, but I think the I think I I probably I, I like the seasons mechanic and I found progress through that game smoother. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm I'm glad I played them back to back. I'm glad I linked them. I think as far as uh, handheld, you know, action adventure RPGs go from 2001, these are pretty damn fine. I can see why they got mm -hmm. the reviews they got. But I do agree with that. Um, I do feel the same as Gein, our three word reviewer, with his comment of bootleg. They feel slightly like they've been put together by fans or by mm. um, by somebody other than Nintendo first party. And indeed, they were. It could have been a lot worse for that. We've certainly seen other uh, examples <laughs> where I feel like the games have the games have been taken on by other teams and like they've completely missed the point. Yeah. Um, it's not just the fact that they used you know, the, the core engine from Link's Awakening and a lot of the assets, it's actually that a lot of the puzzle design across 16 dungeons plus uh, was pretty strong. I feel pretty bad about the fact that I had to walk through and save scum through the latter stages, uh, particularly of ages, to, to get the game done in time. I don't honestly know what would have happened if I hadn't had time pressure, whether I would have eventually puzzled my way through or what um, if I'd you know banned myself from looking at walkthroughs? I don't know. I can't say the, how the experience would have been different. But overall, I come away feeling pretty positive about the Oracle's games. I like the ambition. Um, I like the presentation. I like the classic Koji Kondo tunes in in chip format. But it is it is my experience, as as it seems to be for some others, that these don't feel quite like. Uh, a first party Zelda game maybe they should have been Ralph's adventures in Holodrum and Labrina um, <laughs> allowing us to control Ralph and not Link um, and not have Triforce elements they could have gone completely <laughs> down another path I don't know anyway not control yeah. Link what would Link do <laughs> <laughs> oh that's that's satire <laughs> but it, it wouldn't 
it wouldn't be called Legend of Zelda. Uh, you could play Ralph or Ralphle, uh, the female version. <laughs> That's not a name. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, they're cool. But um, but I'm really looking forward to playing Wind Waker now. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. Ryan. I really like the idea of handing off a pretty major franchise like this to another studio and to a different, you know, set of of brains and, and different creative experiences. Um, because like I think that variety really kind of like there's an opportunity for this to have been something completely new. And there were some new ideas in there. Um and I, I just I love to see the Zelda series, which is pretty kind of archetypical and pretty, you know, not it's not anything special from a storytelling perspective necessarily, but there's a lot of like really strong elements in there and to just allow, you know, somebody else from a completely different studio to have access to that and tell their own story in that world. Like it's really interesting. And a lot of the most um, acclaimed Zelda games come from that kind of background, whether it's a, you know, Link's Awakening or Majora's Mask. And it's always interesting to see new people take on the established franchise, which, you know, maybe the Zelda series in particular, there's no shortage of variety already. Um, but I, I always, I applaud these efforts and I'm just very interested in seeing more of this kind of thing in the future. I think that these particular games... um it's hard for me to work up very strong feelings about them. I think, again, there are some pretty cool scenes, like uh, um, it's the idea of this tower being built outside of the city and watching its construction over time, and the scene with the uh, pirate ship sinking into the sand, uh, which might even kind of imply that this abrosion world is like on the flip side of the ground, kind of like upside down underneath us, which is cool uh there's a lot in here that i really like and uh um yeah it just didn't really coalesce in a way that made it particularly memorable necessarily it's not bad it's just not as memorable as it might have been otherwise but um yeah overall it's it's worth playing if you're a huge zelda uh, zelda fan and you have the time and the uh energy to go through another zelda game like i think it definitely holds up among the um you know, at least kind of the middle level Zelda games. It definitely doesn't for me rank among the the worst of the Zelda games, but uh, yeah, it doesn't really stand out in many ways either. Although I would love to see more of these ideas being brought back into future Zelda games and at least referenced um, as, as time goes forward. Some of these characters, some of these uh, rod of seasons and stuff, I'd love to see pop up in Hyrule Warriors or whatever, but yeah, it's a, uh, it, it's worth experiencing. Cool. Thank you. Uh, and let's conclude with Leia. So I I would agree, first of all, that I think that these are games that are worth experiencing. And now I, I mentioned that I have only played uh, Ages so far. And something that I would also agree with is that I, I don't know that I necessarily got the full experience out of that. And I do intend to continue and to complete seasons because I want to, I, I want to see kind of the entire package through um, what I came into this show 
not entirely sure about is given that there is such a similarity mechanically between these games and Link's Awakening, which I really liked, why I didn't come out of this feeling like I really liked Oracle of Ages. Um, and I, I think that the answer that I've come up with is that I just don't feel like it has and I don't remember who said this, I think maybe it was Julian that said that there was some just kind of a Nintendo thing, like a whimsy or a feeling that just mm. Nintendo brings to the series and had brought to the series up to that point that just isn't quite there in these games. There's nothing wrong with them, and I think that they are, are fine to play, and um, I, I don't regret having played them, and I, as I said, I, I still do certainly think that I want to go on and continue to play uh, the one that I didn't, which is Seasons. Uh, but I, for something that is so similar to a previous game that I that I ended up almost, almost despite myself, despite what I was expecting, really enjoying in Link's Awakening, I just... I, I didn't quite get that here. And I I, I think that um, the story is maybe not quite as... It's not even that it's not quite as good, because I, I don't know that a story with... Uh, to, to take a previous example, a story with a giant psychedelic flying fish is anything that I would consider good in very large air quotes, but it's at least it's unique and it's, it's kind of more interesting. And, and I, I know I'm doing a lot of comparison here, but it's really hard not to do when there mm. are two games that are so similar in construction. Um, and, and I guess all of that is to say that if you enjoy Zelda games, then yes, I think that um, if you have the, the means to play these and, and uh, kind of want to get a, a picture of what happens when it's not Nintendo, then go ahead. It's not a cautionary tale. I don't mean to paint it as such, but um, it, it's, it's interesting to see that different take. I personally didn't like it as much as I hoped I would coming off of Link's Awakening, um, but I'm interested to see if my uh, opinion changes when I get the complete storyline all kind of wrapped up neatly. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And to bring it all back around, remember uh, that, yes, this was uh the first game zelda game directed by someone other than uh one of the key people in nintendo's um you know home studio as it were but uh fujibayashi has now made uh several zeldas and is fully in charge of the of the big new zelda so yeah that's why it's... i said i have mixed feelings i don't know how about yeah yeah, exactly. No, it's it's very interesting. Um, yeah, because especially as he seems to have been the main man on some of the most sort of uh, divisive Zeldas up to this point. Mm. Although, let's be honest, every Zelda is wildly divisive, pretty sure. much, mm -hmm. pretty much, always. Just just like every video game. Anyway. <sighs> Uh, it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Ryan, Sean and Leah again uh, and tell you that next time in a rearranged issue 228, that wizardry came from the moon. That's uh, Moon Studios. <laughs> we take a nibble at Ori and the Blind Forest.